Well, it's been a few weeks now since we've um, been together in John's Gospel. And um, just to refresh you, the theme of this Gospel, John states very clear. He said, these things I've written unto you that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing in his name, you might have eternal life. And, and you know, we've seen that this, this is the 15th week We've been in John's Gospel. We haven't even come, well, we're coming to the end of chapter 5 now. And, and we see that John constantly reinforces this point. He wants to establish us in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God who came to this earth to die in our place for our sins, that we might have eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? And um, last time we, we were looking at this chapter, fifth, uh, chapter 5 and we saw that Jesus came to this place called Bethesda which was a porch in the city of Jerusalem where there was a pool and a lot of sick people were there. But he went and ministered to one man, just one man. And um, that man had been lame for 38 years. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he did. And, and, and as he was going home, he met the Jews who said to him, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going home. <laughs> but you're carrying your bed. It's the Sabbath day. You can't carry your bed on the Sabbath day. That's one of their rules, not one of the rules of Moses, but one of their man-made rules. And so he said, well, the man that healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. He said, well, who is that? He said, I don't know, but I find out. And he did. He met Jesus again. He came back and told the Jews his name is Jesus. So the next thing we find, they meet up with him and they, the Bible actually uses the word, start persecuting him, attacking him. And Jesus' response was, well, I only do those things that my father's doing. Um, you know, my father obviously led me to this man. My father works and I work. And, and, and together, this man was healed. And of course, that infuriated them even more because two reasons. Number one, he said that God was his father, which made him equal with God. And he never backed away from that. He never denied it, that that was what he was saying. He was saying exactly that, that he was equal with God. But also, <laughs> he was saying that his father also broke the Sabbath, according to their estimation of what the rules are for the Sabbath. So they were really angry. So this is where we're going to pick up the story now. And um, verse 31, Jesus said this, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now, that first statement, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Well, he wasn't saying, you know, you can't really trust me. I, you know, I may not be telling the truth. He's not saying that. What he's saying is in a court of law, one person's testimony of themselves is not admissible. It's not, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't stand. We need more than that. Anyone can say I'm God. That's what he was saying. I'm, I'm, I'm God. And Jesus was saying, I know what you're thinking. Anyone can say that. If I bear witness of myself, then that's not good enough. I, I was watching a program recently of um, something that actually happened. I won't say where or what. It doesn't matter. But it was um, back a few decades where um, a member of 
Parliament, who was destined to become the next Prime Minister, had an affair with a woman. And, and, and the newspapers got onto this and they tracked this woman down, basically offered her money to tell a story. Um, but they said to her, but look, you know, at the moment we've got nothing because it's your word against his. It wouldn't stand up. Everybody would just say, well, you know, anyone can say that he did this or he did that. But then she brought out this note that he sent to her, which totally implicated him in the, in, in the act. And so they said, oh, now we've got a case. There's two witnesses. There's two witnesses. Can you see that? So it changes everything. That's what Jesus was saying here. If I be a witness of myself, my, my, my own testimony alone is not good enough for you. I understand that. So what he does is that basically he uses their own law, their own principle, which we read here. Moses gave in the uh, uh, book of Deuteronomy, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So he's going to bring two or three witnesses to back up his claim what he was saying to them that he is the son of God so the first witness is John the Baptist okay he said you to the Jews have sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth yet I do not receive testimony from man but I say these things that you may be saved he was the burning and shining lamp and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light now First witness then is John the Baptist. Now, if, you, if you've been coming with me through John's gospel, you remember that John was a witness that was specifically sent by God, foretold in the book of Malachi, in the book of Isaiah as well, that this forerunner would come and introduce Jesus and, 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 and declare him to be the one. And, and when John saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he said this, the one who sent me to baptize, that's God, the one who sent me to baptize said this to me, the one on whom you see the spirit descending, this is the one. And then he said these words, and I testify that he is the son of God. Now, it says there that the Jews sent to John because John it was a phenomenon. People were coming out in, to, to be baptized in their droves. And the authorities didn't know how to deal with this. Were they going to side with John and say, yeah, he's from God? Well, if they did, they would have to get baptized. And they didn't want to, they didn't want to admit that they needed to be baptized, you see. So they were in a, a really difficult situation. So they, they sent to John to try to find out some way to catch him out. And, and, and he said, when you, when you came to John, he bore witness of me uh, and, and, and of the truth. Now... Jesus mentioned John's testimony because it was true and if they believed it, they would be saved. Do you remember when, when they tried to trick Jesus and uh, asked him a question? He said, well, I'll ask you a question first. You, you answer me and I'll answer you. The baptism of John, was it from God or was it from man? And that really put them on the spot because if they said it was from God, he would say, well, why didn't you believe it? Why weren't you baptised? But if they said it was from man, then they feared the crowd. There would be an uprise against them. And, and, and so this is what Jesus is talking about. You sent a delegation to John and John bore witness of me. 
You know, everybody came out. If anyone accepted John's preaching, and many, many, many did, they couldn't reject Jesus. Okay, so that's the first witness, all right? The second witness, oh, sorry, we haven't quite finished yet. The Jews regarded their teachers as lamps. Okay, let's go back to that. Uh, uh, he said uh, that he was a burning and shining lamp. He was a burning and shining lamp. Now, when Jesus said that, he was familiar with the fact that the Jews regarded their teachers as lamps. It is the nature of a lamp to burn itself out. In giving light, it consumes itself. That's why the lamp constantly has to be topped up. That's what Jesus said. Perfect, perfect description of, of John. Amen? Because he said, he must increase, I must decrease. In other words, my job was to prepare the way from him. Now, this lamp is going to go out. Now, friends, your life is a lamp. My lamp, life is a lamp. We're not John the Baptist. You know, we're not an apostle Paul. We, we all have different callings in life and different uh, things that God has called us to do and so on. But look at your life this, this way. One day, the lamp will go out. The lamp will go out. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? At the end of the year, they always look back at the number of people that passed away. Queen Elizabeth, who lived for so long, but now she, the lamp has burned out. Her light has gone out. That will be true of you and me one day. The most important thing is, when it was burning, was it giving glory to Jesus? Like, I, I think we sang a song there. I can't remember this, the words about countless ages, uh, you know, people from the past and people in the future are singing the song of the Lamb. That's who we are. We are people. We, we, we are called to do different things, and, and um, that's okay. But we are, we're a lamp bearing witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when our lamp goes out, we can rest in the knowledge that we shone for him. We didn't hide that light under a bushel, so to speak. So here's the thing, though. A lamp not only gives light, it also attracts moths. Like the crowds that gathered to hear him, they weren't all there for the right reason. Even Herod heard him for a while, the Bible says, because Jesus, uh, sorry, John was trending. You know, everybody was talking about John the Baptist. Everyone was, was interested in him. Everyone wanted to hear him. So even Herod said he wanted to see him. You can just imagine Herod, you know, um, amongst all these, his, you know, you know, the high falutin sort of people in society that he mixed with. Oh, yes, I had a chat with John. I you know, had a chat with him. Quite, a, quite an unusual chap, really, isn't he? You know, but uh, had a little time with him. Just because it was trending, you know what I mean? So he could just name drop and all that sort of thing. And so people gathered around him for, for different reasons. And, and many people came, the, uh, Jesus said there, that they were willing to hear him for a while. For a while. The crowds were only willing to receive Jesus for a time or for a while. Like the seed on rocky ground, they had no root. You know, in the parable that Jesus told about the, the, the seed that fell on stony ground, that's like a, just a very uh, shallow layer of earth on a slab of rock. And, and it sprung up, it looked like it was promising, but there was no root. And the Bible says that we're, we're rooted in Christ, you know. Otherwise, we will not endure. If we're rooted in him, if we, uh, our faith and our confidence and our trust is truly in him, we will endure no matter what happens. So it's not by beginning, but by continuing Christ's word that we prove to be his disciples. One of, one of the um, verses that is often quoted, you shall know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. I think we all know that verse. The context in, in the verse before, it says, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the context, you see. Now these did not abide in his word. They, they were willing to, to follow John and, and listen to him for a time. But then they, they didn't want to follow him anymore. And we're going to look at why that was. It's a very important question. Just before we move on to the second witness, I want to say this. This is a beautiful picture. Here's Jesus giving testimony to John. Now John was called to give testimony to Jesus. That was his purpose, to prepare the way, say he's the one, behold the Lamb of God, he's the Son of God. But here is Jesus giving testimony to John. And it's a beautiful example of what Jesus said. If we confess Christ before men, so he will confess us before God. And sometimes it's not easy to confess Jesus before others, especially when you're in the minority, and even when you're alone, maybe in a family at work or in, in a street, you know. But, but there's going to come that time Jesus promised when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne, of course, but the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded by him. And, and he will confess us before the angels in heaven because of those times that we stood up for him and testified to him, just as he testified there of John. Okay, let's move on to the second thing. The second witness that Jesus brings in this uh, court, if you like, he says, but I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So the second witness then was his works. Uh, now, just to remind you also that the way John has written his gospel is he chose seven of these works or miracles that Jesus did. He just selected seven to build his account of the gospel around that. Seven signs, they're called, because they bore witness to Jesus. And these are important because Jesus mentioned them on other occasions. For example, John chapter 10, verse 35. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. John 14, verse 11, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Many people saw these works. The Jews saw these works. You know, we're talking now about a man that was lame for 38 years. They, everybody saw him there. He'd been there that long. Everybody in the city knew he was there. They saw him now walking. So these works were giving testimony. They were supernatural, but they were always, all of them were works of mercy and kindness. God coming into our humanity and our need and our suffering and helping us. And often, well, always, of course, through supernatural works. Okay, so they resulted in a confession of belief in him. For example, the first miracle, turning the water into wine. Now, at that point, of course, some of the disciples, not all of them, were following him. Some of the disciples were following probably because of his teaching. They were, wow, this guy is saying something different. Let's follow him. But then he did that miracle. He says, this miracle of uh, beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Well, you would, wouldn't you? They saw, there's only water. They run out of wine. 
But then Jesus told them to go and fill up the water pots and then as they poured them out, it wasn't water coming out, it was wine. It was the best wine. They believed in him. The next miracle, I believe, was the, uh, the miracle of the healing of the nobleman's son. Remember, he wanted Jesus to go with him. Jesus said, no, you go home, your son is healed. And he believed him. So when he got home, it says the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. He shared the whole thing with his household, which is not just his family, but, you know, the servants and so on, the household servants. And, and they all believed because of that sign. The works were a testimony. Next one, next one we're looking at is um, feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves, two fishes, 5,000 men plus women, children. Some say up to 20,000 people were fed as Jesus broke the bread and the fish, so they multiplied. He just kept giving them out and all those people were fed with 12 baskets full afterwards. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. The, the sign, the, the works were given um, witness. Okay, the next one is John chapter 9, the man that was born blind. Nobody else in the whole of the Bible had been healed from blindness. You know, somebody who was born blind and, and was healed. And Jesus opened his eyes. And remember, straight away, the, the Jews attacked Jesus and tried to get, turn this man against Jesus, saying he, he would, you know, he's not from God and so on. And, and, and Jesus met up with him again. He said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he said, who is he, Lord? He said, it's the one that's talking to you. In other words, the one that opened your eyes. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So again, the works were a witness to Jesus. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary, this is the raising of Lazarus, the last miracle that John records. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did, believed in him. Well, again, you would, wouldn't you? A man who had died, was buried for four days. And then Jesus called him out of the tomb and raised him again. Many believed in him. Now, why, why is it then that Jesus did all these works and yet they didn't believe? <coughs> these didn't believe. These, these enemies of Jesus did not believe. They saw them. They knew they were very much aware. E even Lazarus rising from the dead. They wanted to kill Lazarus because he was exhibit A. He was the evidence. This man was dead. He, everybody knew we were all at his funeral. He put him in the tomb four days and Jesus called him out. They wanted to kill. So why? Why is that? Why is that? That's an important question. And the, the reason is this. And, you know, we see this in, in mankind today, in humanity today. He did, yes, he did all these works, but he didn't do the work they wanted him to do. The work they wanted him to do was to deliver them from Rome. They, they thought the Messiah would come in great glory, great power, great majesty, overthrow their, their you know, their, their um, oppressing army, uh, uh, nation, which was Rome, and set them free, liberate them. And he didn't do that. He came to save them from a deeper problem than that, their sin. Amen? And, and so that's why they, they followed him for a while. They followed John for a while. But when, when this whole issue of you need to get saved comes up, they weren't interested in that. They just wanted 
a better life on earth. They want to get free of the Roman bondage. He didn't do the work they wanted him to do. And, and sadly, that's the, the same today. Many people reject God because he, he's not the kind of God they want. You know, in fact, they want to be God and tell him what to do. Um, and so we move on to the third witness. We move on to the third witness there. And it's the Father himself. It says, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. Now, if you just read that and you don't read what comes after it, you think, oh, maybe that was when Jesus was baptized and the voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what I thought. But when you read on, it's not that that he's referring to. It's very clear. Because he goes on to say, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Now, what that's saying is this. The Father has borne witness to Jesus through the Word. What is the Word? The Bible. Their Bible, their scriptures was the whole of the Old Testament. Okay? That's the only Bible they had. And that, is the, that was their Bible. But that was enough. In fact, that's, that's the only Bible the apostles used to evangelize. That's the Bible they used to preach from. And, and people were getting saved. Why? Because it's full of what the Father was saying about his Son that would come into the world, the Messiah who would come to be the Saviour. So this is not the witness of the audible voice, but the witness of the Scriptures, the prophets. I've got to say this, you know, I, I thank God, I thank God so much that I was brought up in a church that loved the Word of God, that revered the Word of God and taught me to love the Word of God and appreciate the Word of God and have you know, put a tremendous confidence in it. You know, they taught me how, how the Holy Spirit inspired those prophets of old. You know, the Holy Spirit moved upon them, and so the words that they spoke were the very words of God that were to be recorded for, for generations, for centuries to come, for us today. They, you know, they told me how, how people basically gave their lives for this word how the, Satan tried to destroy it, but, but Jesus protected, God protected his word. Down through the ages, God has protected his word. Even though people have laid down their lives for it, you know, it cost them the ultimate price, but God has preserved this word for us. And, and all through the ages, he's kept it from error, from being mistranslated or, 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 or for us losing the, the original manuscripts and meaning and so on. So that we have the Bible today, which we know is God's record and testimony for us. I thank God that, that I have been given by those that taught me a reverence for the Word of God. Because this is, this is see, Jesus has been building up. Okay, there was John. That was big. That was big. That was, they knew how big John was. But then there were the works, the miracles. That was even greater. But then he comes to the ultimate. This is where our faith and our confidence is, friends, in the Word of God. Amen. We don't have to come up with clever arguments. We don't have to come up with, with uh, answers for every, everything that people bring to us. We just need to proclaim the Word of God. Nothing's changed. God's, God's way is very clear. Preach my Word, trust in my Spirit. I'll do the rest. Amen. So keep preaching the word. You know, it doesn't matter who doesn't believe it because the Bible says that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will turn away from it. But whatever they do, we will not do. 
We will love the word of God and we will hold the torch up in our generation and run with it. Amen. Now, they did not receive Jesus because they did not have God's word abiding in them. So Jesus goes on to say, this is how we know that he's talking about the scriptures. He says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Regarding the scriptures, I like what A.W. Pink says. He says, beyond them, there is no appeal. Above them, no higher authority. After them, no further witness. It is the ultimate testimony that God has given to us, the word of God. Now, the Jewish scholars in Jesus' day, I'm talking about, gave themselves to study the scriptures. That's what that word Pharisee means. One who is separated unto the law, unto the, unto the Old Testament scriptures, to study them, to understand them. And, and, you know, I've heard this over and over again, that they didn't just memorize chapters, they memorized whole books. Can you imagine? I, I think I'd have a mental breakdown trying to do that. They, they could quote a whole book, some of them, verbatim. But the problem is they missed the point. <laughs> you know? Now, a lot of people today study the Bible to argue, <laughs> to bring out their proof texts for their doctrines and so on. And you see it online sometimes, people sending texts at one another, like missiles, you know, shooting one another down. It's like, I think you missed the point there. This is what Jesus was saying. That word search is not merely to read. Not merely, it should be not merely read. The Greek word is one that was used in connection with hunting. When a hunter discovered the tracks of an animal, he followed them until he found his prey. That's the meaning. Like they pick up, okay, we're on the track, we're on the trail. And they just followed until they found their prey. And it's like that with the word of God. The scriptures point to Jesus. The trail leads to him. But the Jews lost their way. They failed to recognize where the trail was leading. They came out just very clever with you know, clever amounts of knowledge of the Bible. As I say, they could quote it at one another and so on. And, and they know, knew how to debate with the scriptures and so on, but, but it didn't bring them to Jesus. There's no life in the scripture if we fail to see him. Then in fact, I can't think of anything worse than knowing the Bible just to argue about it. I've seen enough of those people. <laughs> I don't like them. I'll be honest with you, I don't like being with them. When I see them, I, I think of that movie, um, Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> Get out of here quick. Okay. Jesus said, now, now this is, see, you've got to ask why. Why, why did they not pick up the trail and it lead them to Jesus? And Jesus gives us the explanation here. I did not receive honour from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honour from one another and do not seek the honour that comes from the only God? Now, why, regardless of these three powerful witnesses, John the Baptist, the works, 
and the scriptures, did they fail to come to Jesus? Because they sought the honour that comes from man, not from God. What is that honour? This, this honour is praise for their self-righteousness, their self-righteous works, as, a, as opposed to repentance and faith. The Jews loved the praise of men, especially the leaders, the Pharisees. You know, they loved this old backslapping. They loved, you know, they loved to stand on the corner of a busy street, find the busiest street where most people are going through, and then start praying. So he looked so spiritual, and we say, oh, he's so spiritual. Even in public, he's, he's lifting up his heart to God. Isn't that wonderful? You know? And, and, and they'd love to pretend they were fasting for days by whitening their, their cheeks and sucking in their, you know, their, their cheeks. And, and then people say, oh, look, he's, he's just so in love with God. He hasn't even eaten for weeks, the poor fellow. You know? And they love that sort of thing. And, 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 and they love to be seen giving to charity. They make sure that people were watching. They love the praise of men, self-righteousness, so that people will build them up and, and, and so they're such holy people. Then Jesus come along, said, repent. And John the Baptist, repent and get baptized. Oh, we don't get baptized. It's only Gentiles that get baptized in the name of Jesus. Believe in Jesus. You know, believe that you're a sinner needing salvation. They, they said, but we're not sick. Jesus said, well, I've only come for the sick. You can't be saved and I can't, I can't help you. They loved the praise of men. They did not want to let that go. They didn't want to let their high position and the opinion of others go. That's what Jesus was saying here. And, 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 and he, you know, he starts in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the what? The poor in spirit, not the proud in spirit. The poor in spirit that come to God and say, God, I'm poor. I have nothing to offer you. I just look to you for your mercy and your grace. Blessed are those that mourn for their sin. Lord, I'm, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I throw myself on, on the mercy of God. Blessed are those people. They'll be forgiven. Blessed are the meek. Not those that have got to assert their rights and, uh, rights and lift themselves up above others, but the meek that can walk humbly. They didn't like that. And we love the praise of men. We want people to think well of us that we, and keep us on this pedestal that we put ourselves on. And it says that Jesus said, I, I know you. He knew what was in man. He could read them. Therefore, he was not surprised at their rejection of him. They would reject him in spite of all the testimony, yet accept another based on that one's self-acclamation. Jesus needs no such affirmation from men. He said, I don't need it because I've only come to seek to please my father. Do what's right in his eyes. doesn't matter what others think about me. But the fact is that they would believe, quickly believe others. Why? Because remember their thing that they wanted was to be delivered from the Romans. And if you study Jewish history, especially around that time, many rose up and gave promise that they were going to liberate the Jews from the Romans and, and, and the Jews banded around them until the Romans crushed them. In fact, I was reading, because I'm going through the book of Acts in my own reading at the moment, and I think it's in Acts chapter uh, 5, when, when the church was growing so much 
the Pharisees said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this guy? And then that guy called Gamaliel stood up and said, look, leave them alone. Don't, don't, don't. If, you know, if this is of God, you can't do anything about it. If it's of man, it'll come to nothing. And then he reminded them there were two guys that rose up and they had a popular following. You know, these guys are popular. That's happened before. I think that one of them was called uh, Judas and the other one was called Thaddeus. And they both come to nothing. So he said, just, just leave it. If it's of God, it'll, you, know, you, can't, you can't interfere with it. But if it's of man, it'll come to nothing. And there were many like this. In fact, that's why Jerusalem was destroyed because of these constant uprising, uprisings. There would always be someone who would rise up, you know, like a radical, and say, you know, we've got to throw off the yoke of the Romans, and then people would gather around them, they'd be crushed. Then ultimately, of course, Titus marched on Jerusalem and, and destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. That wasn't even the last one. There's, a, there's another one after that, AD 110 or something like that, and, and it was a big one. And the Romans came again and crushed them. And that's when they were scattered all over the earth. They were driven out of the land, most of them. And so they, what Jesus was saying here was, this is characteristic of you. I've come in my Father's name. John the, witness, John the Baptist is born witness of me. My works bear witness of me. These have not done any miraculous works. And my Father's born witness of me. And yet you won't believe me. But any upstart comes along and offers you what you want which is deliverance from the Romans and him you will follow now we know that that is going to be uh, that is that, that kind of thing is going to culminate in the Antichrist not just for the Jews but for the world this, this, see, those that reject Christ want God on their terms they don't want what Christ is offering them which is salvation from their sin and to be reconciled with God they want someone who's going to help them preserve their particular world that they've got now. And that's what the Antichrist will do. That is what the Antichrist... Let's read about that. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception amongst those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. See, it's the same. That they might be saved. For... This reason, God will send them a strong delusion so that they uh, should believe the lie. Now, what is the lie? The lie. It was the original lie. Back in the Garden of Eden, you don't need God, you can be God. Okay, if you take the fruit, you, you'll be God. You won't need God anymore, you will be God. Now, people want that. They don't want to believe in a God they cannot see, but they will believe in a God they can see. And especially a God that says you can be your own God which is what Antichrist would do. Antichrist will come by the way, I mean, we can, we can speculate, but, but I think we know this much. He will come at a time when the world is in absolute chaos. It's out of control. There's anarchy and, and everybody's fearful. Then how can we get our world back, our life back? It's just almost like Kobe was a, like a little mini part of that. You know? Everyone was saying, I want my life back. Now you, you magnify that on a global scale greater than COVID with everything, you know, even, even the possibility of nuclear war, which we're, we're, we're kind of looking at down the barrel of that to some extent now. All these sort of things happening and all of a sudden the world is out of total out of control. And, and who can deliver us? This incredible figure who is 
a Satan-possessed man called Antichrist steps on the scene. He does all these incredible power signs and wonders. Everyone's going to say, what? He's our man. Okay, well, let me finish this first of all. That they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, what this man will do is he'll say, I'll get you your world back on what you're looking for. Was Jesus said, I will give you what my Father wants for you, which is for you to be reconciled to him, brought back together to him. Okay, let's go on. Quickly, he, he will come in his own name, not representing God, but claiming to be God, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Why will they accept him? For the same reason they rejected Jesus because they wanted a deliverer from their enemies, but Jesus is the saviour from self and sin. This is why they only rejoiced in G John for a while. Okay, we're quickly coming to an end now. Jesus goes on to say, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, if there's one thing that the Jews thought they believed, it was Moses and his writings. That's the, what we call the, or they called the Torah, the, the, the law. It's often called just the law. It's the first five books in the Bible. And uh, it also goes under the, the Greek name Pentateuch, Pentateuch, five, the five books, in other words, okay? And so that's Moses. When, when you read the term Moses, it speaks about the first five books. And, and they thought, this is what we believe. And Moses bore witness to Jesus so much in those, in, in those first five books, in the types and shadows of the, of the Torah. For example, the four. Right, start right at the beginning. You know, when, when, when sin came in, the first prophecy was that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Amen? Jesus, first, I think they call that proto-evangelum, the first preaching of the gospel. And then, of course, we, we see that, you know, their nakedness was revealed so that they, they were covered with skins. Animals were sacrificed. Blood was shed. It's the way to, you know, for the cleansing of sin through the shedding of blood. We go on to the flood. What a, what a picture that is. The whole world under judgment. The only way you can be saved is in the ark. And the ark is a picture of Jesus. Um, you know, you go on to the tabernacle. The tabernacle. Man, I remember the days, and I'm one of them, when, when preachers used to preach whole series. I could easily preach 12 sessions on the tabernacle, how it all is a picture of Jesus. Every part of it reveals Jesus. Beautiful. And then the priesthood and the sacrifices, how they reveal Jesus. Jesus the sacrifice, Jesus our great high priest. We looked at that other example, the serpent in the wilderness. Remember, they were all uh, bitten by serpents because of their rebellion against God, but God told Moses to make that serpent a branch, lift it up, and whoever looked upon the serpent would live, would live. It's a picture of Jesus becoming sin on the cross for us, and so on and so on. Moses constantly, in fact, he even prophesied that the prophet is going to come, and, and, and if you believe in him, 
you will be saved. Those that don't believe in him will, will not be saved. Okay, look at a couple of other scriptures here. See, this is why the scriptures are so important. You know, we have, for example, today, a lot of people who are saying they, they died and went to heaven. The funny thing is they all come back with conflicting reports. There's no consensus amongst them. They've all got different stories to tell that cancel one another out, but that doesn't matter. Jesus said you know, in, in the story of um, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man wanted Lazarus to go there and, 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 and refresh, uh, you know, um, relieve him of his thirst and so on. And then Abraham said, no, there's a great gulf fixed between where you are and where he is. He can't come to you, you can't come to him. He said, well, send him back then to my brothers to warn them of this place. And Jesus said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. See, some people think, if you've got a story of someone who died and went to heaven and they come back and tell you, that's going to convince them. No, it's not. They're either believers or they're not believers. Jesus died and rose from the dead. He's come back. And, and, and we have the word of God. If they don't believe Moses, if they don't believe the scriptures, they won't believe any of these things that we think will turn them. And they might temporarily believe, but just like we just saw there, they will not they, they will only follow for a while. Okay, Jesus, at the end of his ministry, when he met those two on the road to Emmaus, he says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures what the things concerning himself. This is the word of God. And, and, and you know, they prided themselves in, we're believers in Moses, we believe in the Torah. What he wrote of me, it's full of me. If you don't believe Moses in all he wrote, how can you believe in me. Okay, we're going to finish with this now. This is, this is a summary of what we see Jesus said about these Jews that were constantly attacking him. He said, you don't have his word abiding in you. He said, you will not come to me. He said, you do not have the love of God in you. He said, you don't receive me. He said, you don't seek the honour that comes from God only. Therefore, he says, you don't believe in me. Notice that all these things stem from not having his word abiding in you. Now, let's just turn this around in a positive way concerning you and I. We can say we have his word abiding in us. We love his word. We love his word. His word abides in us. We have come to him because of that. We have the love of God in us because we've come to him. We've received him. And we're not interested in the honour that comes from God. We don't care if we're popular or unpopular, whether in the minority or the majority. That doesn't mean anything to us. We just want to do what's right in the sight of God. We want the honour that comes from God because we believe in him. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for the fact that it is preserved, not only written and inspired by you, but preserved uh, down through the ages of time. And some have paid the ultimate price that we might have this word today. We love your word. We cherish it. Most of all, Lord, we thank you that your word is abiding in us. It's not just a book that's lying on a shelf at home gathering dust, 
but we're abiding in your word and your word is abiding in us and it's transforming us, it's equipping us, it's strengthening us, it's feeding us. And Lord, it's leading this on. We, we thank you that every time we open it, we see the trail, we follow the tracks and it brings us to Jesus who is the Son of God and we believe in him. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Amen.